Well, hey, everybody, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited to continue the series we started last week. If you were here last week, hopefully you remember that that series is around the idea of spiritual formation. Now, maybe that idea of spiritual formation, if you weren't here last week, is brand new to you. Well, the good news is it's brand new to all of us. When we talk about spiritual formation, what we mean is that we want to be formed and shaped into the image of Jesus. That's the point of being a follower of Jesus. Our definition that we used last week for spiritual formation is moving Jesus to the center of our heart and lives. Now, I think that's such a big deal because, and I said this last week, that everything in our life is fighting for the center, right? It's a good thing, it's a bad thing. Doesn't matter, it's fighting for the center. It's a big thing, it's a little thing. It doesn't matter, it's fighting for the center. There's nothing in our lives that is content just to sit on the sideline. Everything in our life, good, bad, big, little, is fighting for the center of our heart and life. And that's why it's so important that we are constantly moving Jesus to the center or moving Jesus back to the center of our heart and lives. As I said, that is how we begin to to look like Jesus and live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And I think even more tangibly, that's how we're going to make an impact on the lostness in the communities around us. You see, the world is tired of Christians who don't look like Jesus. And if we want to impact the lostness of our friends, our families, our neighbors, then it's going to mean that we have to move Jesus to the center of our heart and lives so that we begin to truly look like him. So last week, we talked about the idea of being formed spiritually in our faith and really not just knowing what we believe, but why we believe it and allowing the word of God to be the thing that dictates what we believe. Uh, And that was just the first of three areas that I want to see our church become deeply formed in. I want to see our church become become deeply formed uh, in our faith, but also deeply formed in our lives and deeply formed in our mission. Or maybe to say it differently, that we would be formed uh, upward, we would be formed inward, and we would be formed outward. And so last week, we talked about the idea of being formed in our faith. Today, we're going to talk about the idea of being formed in our life. And when I think about the idea of being formed in our life, I think there's a very sneaky and yet very prevalent danger that lurks around that corner when we talk about what it is to be formed in our life. You see, it's very easy for behavior modification to masquerade as spiritual formation. What do I mean by that? Let me just give you an example. So I went to school at Clearwater Christian College. It was a small, really conservative, really strict Christian college. And I used to joke when I'd come back home that it was boot camp for preacher boys, right? Uh, Because we had a book. It was called The Guide. And The Guide was a rule book for everything. And the college operated off of a demerit system. So when you would break the rules, you'd get demerit. So for instance, if I didn't make my bed and clean my room in the dorm every day and somebody was to come behind me and check, then I could get demerits. Enough demerits and you were campused, which meant that you couldn't leave campus. You had to stay grounded basically on campus. Uh, And then if you got even more demerits than that, at some point they would just kick you out. And the guidebook was that list of all the things that you couldn't do. Well, when we think about behavior modification versus real spiritual formation, uh, let me just throw it out like this. Let me throw out three, uh, three things in the guidebook that you couldn't do and let you rank them in order of the number of demerits 
merits you think you received from them. So here's the three things, uh, arson, witchcraft, and poker. Now just take a minute, how would you rank those in order of most demerits to least demerits? Um, well, let, let's start with the least. Least demerits, arson, witchcraft, and then poker. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like you could burn the school down while worshiping Satan and we would campus you and have a serious conversation. But if you got caught playing five card draw, buddy, you are out of here. Why is that? It's because uh, like so many Christian subcultures, the school had identified these markers of what were just a sinful lifestyle and playing cards. Well, that was one of them. Uh, I, I could talk more about it, but let me let uh, Pastor John Ortberg speak to it. Uh, he writes about this idea of conforming to boundary markers as a substitute for authentic transformation. And this is what he says. He says, the church I grew up in had its boundary markers. Uh, a prideful or resentful pastor could have kept his job, but if ever the pastor was caught smoking a cigarette, he would have been fired. Not because anyone in the church actually thought smoking a worse sin than pride or resentment, but because smoking defined who was in our subculture and who wasn't. It was a boundary marker. As I was growing up, having a quiet time, that's just time in the morning where you read your Bible and pray, having a quiet time became a boundary marker or a measure of spiritual growth. If someone had asked me about my spiritual life, I would immediately think, have I been regularly having lengthy quiet times? My initial thought would not have been, am I growing more loving toward God and toward people? See, boundary markers change from culture to culture, but the dynamic remains the same. If people do not experience authentic transformation, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for the boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. I think that's so good because that's, that's the danger of being formed in our faith, right? It's that instead of truly being formed in our faith, that we would deteriorate down to just behavior modification. And we pick and choose which behaviors we want to modify based on the boundaries set by whatever subculture that we operate within. And those boundary markers change from culture to culture, but at the end of the day, they are all substitutes for true spiritual formation. So today, for our time together, what I want to do is look at Paul's teaching to the Galatian church about what a spiritually formed life really looks like. And so that's going to be found in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 to 26 uh, and then kind of walk through it together. So if you got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is what we read. Paul writes, he says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So I think here in this passage, Paul paints a pretty compelling picture of what a spiritually formed life looks like. And for our time together today, what I want to do is just walk back through that passage a little more slowly with an idea to, the, uh, to our own spiritual formation in life. Uh, let's start back at verse 13. What's Paul saying here? See, Paul, I think, is giving us this, this idea that he wants us to live in freedom not in legalism or in license. And that's what he says, right? Back verse 13, for you were called to be free. So Paul says, I want you, as you follow Jesus, as you're formed spiritually, I want you to live in freedom. And that freedom is not legalism, nor is it license. Well, I think to really understand that, you got to know what legalism and license are. When we say legalism, what we mean is that legalism is really that idea that we can earn our right standing before God based off of our actions and behaviors. If I do good enough, if I try hard enough, if I mean well enough, that I'm going to get into heaven one day, or that God's love toward me, acceptance of me, is dependent on how good or not good I am. That is legalism. We believe that we are saved by the keeping of the law. Well, that's a ditch on one side of the road. On the other side of the road, we have the ditch of license. And license says that how I live, my actions and behaviors don't matter at all. That because I have a right standing with God, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, uh, because back in the past, I prayed some kind of magical prayer. You see, that's a ditch on the other side of the road because even though we do have a right standing with God, that's not an excuse to do and live however you want. Matter of fact, Paul tells us elsewhere that we show our faith, we show our salvation by how we live and our behaviors. And so rather than legalism or license, Paul calls us to live in love. Right? That's what true freedom is, is being able to live in love. In fact, he goes so far as to say that the entire Old Testament law is fulfilled and is summed up in loving one another as ourselves. Now, that could seem problematic for you if you don't know what Paul means when he says love. But for Paul, the idea of love was not this wishy-washy, abstract, fuzzy idea. When Paul says love, Paul was thinking specifically uh, a love that is defined by Jesus's ultimate sacrifice on the cross. That is what defined love for Paul. That Jesus, who knew no sin out of love for us and love for his Father, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so for Paul, love is a sacrificing of ourselves for the good of others, specifically in these verses, our family of faith. So I think for our purposes today, we can say that one of the first markers of a spiritually formed life is a life that has been transformed by love for others, right? 
But he goes on. He goes on further uh, to talk about how that life is formed and what that specifically looks like. And, and he, he uses two terms and he contrasts them to paint this picture. He, he says that there are those who walk by the Spirit and those who walk according to their flesh. And, and that language of Spirit and flesh is pretty common for Paul. When Paul says Spirit, he doesn't mean the Christmas Spirit. He doesn't mean that warm fuzzy that you get sitting in front of a Christmas tree by a fireplace drinking hot cocoa. But when Paul says the Spirit, he means the third person of the Trinity, God himself, God the Spirit. And it is this Spirit of God, this third person of the Trinity, that comes to live in and work in every believer who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And he says, if that Spirit lives within you, then you need to walk in the spirit. And then on the other side of that, he has the flesh. And again, when he says flesh, he doesn't mean that our skin, our muscle, our fat or whatever. When he says flesh, Paul has in mind that sinful nature, those sinful inclinations that we are all born with. And I do mean that we are all born with that sinful inclination and nature Nobody has to teach your kids how to lie. Nobody has to teach your kids how to misbehave. It is something that indwells within us. And so what Paul says is that for the follower of Jesus, there is a constant war going on between the Spirit and our flesh, pulling us to walk by the Spirit or to walk by the flesh. And here's the thing. There's no middle ground here. There's no third way. There's no peace treaty. There's going to be no truce. This is a fight to the death between the spirit and the flesh. And so then the question becomes, well, how do I know which way we're headed? Am I walking by the spirit or am I walking by the flesh? Or to use the words we used last week, am I being conformed according to the flesh or am I being transformed by the spirit of God? And so to help, what Paul's going to do here next is Paul's going to give us a list that describes a life that has been conformed to the flesh, and then he's going to give us another list of what a life transformed by the Spirit looks like. So, so let's keep on. Uh, starting in verse 19, Paul gives us a list of a life that has been conformed in the flesh. And he breaks that list down into really three key areas. Uh, the first area of a life that is conformed to the flesh, the first area there is the area of sexuality. And he says that that life is sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. And again, there has been so much written on all of these words and more specifically what they mean. I'd encourage you to go back and look at them for more detail. But the idea here is that sexually we are marked by desires of the flesh, not the spirit. Second area then is religion when he says idolatry and sorcery. Now, I think the quick reaction here is that, well, I, I don't have any idols in my house and I'm not a witch, so I must be good. Uh, but those words may not mean exactly what you think they mean, which is why going and studying this further could be really helpful to you. Idolatry is when we put anything in our lives above Jesus, giving a greater priority to those things. And sorcery is when we think we can manipulate God through our machinations or incantations, where we think by what we do, we can control God. And I would say... If you think about it for a little bit, there's a lot of people who do both of those things on a really regular basis. 
So we have sexuality, we have religion, and then the third area uh, that we see these markers of the flesh are in relationships. And here he says that is strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Now I just think it's really interesting that the list that Paul gives referring to how we treat and relate to others is twice as long as his list around sexuality and religion combined. I think that's really something to note here, okay? Uh, But then the good news is, is that Paul doesn't just leave us with a list of what our lives shouldn't look like. He goes on to give us a list of what a spiritually formed life should look like. And he gives us a list of these characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are the fruit of the Spirit, right? The others were markers of the flesh, but these, these are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what a spiritually formed life looks like. So let me just highlight a couple of truths here that I think are important for our understanding of this spiritually formed life. Uh, Number one, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit here, these are attitudes, not actions. It's kind of like Pastor Ortberg, right? When we ask what a spiritually formed life looks like, immediately we, we jump to all these things we do. Well, I read my Bible, I pray, I give, I go to church. But yet Paul says that it is the attitudes, not the actions, that mark a spiritually formed life. Uh, This isn't a checklist of things that we do, but a picture of who we are to become. And that's so important for us to understand that a spiritually formed life has less to do with what we do than it does with who we are and who we are becoming from the inside out. You see, these characteristics, these attitudes require an internal formation, not simple external modifications. I think the second thing we point out here is that these are not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit, but this is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. I think that's very important for us to remember when Paul says this. He doesn't say these are the fruits of the Spirit. He said these are, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't a buffet. This doesn't mean you get to go say, well, you know, I'm really good at these, but I'm not so good at those. So I'm not going to worry about those. I'm just going to focus on these. This all together is what marks a spiritually formed life. You don't get to pick and choose. It's got to be everything. Oh boy, I'm in trouble then. If this has to be everything, then I'm in trouble, right? Well, I get that. I feel that because there's certain of these that I feel like I'm doing better at and certain of these that I'm not as good at. That doesn't give me an excuse to not worry about those because all of this is the marker of a spiritually formed life. So let me give you some good news. This formation is not going to happen in an instant. You're not going to nail all of these instantly. The formation here is going to be gradual. It is a gradual formation. And I think that's why it's so tempting for us to uh, substitute behavior modification for real spiritual transformation because behavior modification is quick, it's fast, it's easy, it's apparent. We get that satisfaction, that serotonin hit. Man, I nailed it. But spiritual formation is slower. It happens over time and it's not always so easy to see. Just think about your kids growing. 
right? If you have kids, you don't wake up every morning and be like, oh my gosh, you got so big last night. Well, maybe you do when they're little, but the truth is you don't notice that they got bigger last night. It's only every now and then that you just step back and it hits you. Oh my gosh, they've gotten bigger. I don't have a little boy, I have a young man. I think that's how it is with our spiritual life. It happens gradually, incrementally every day. And every now and then we get to step back and say, wow, I really have come a long way. But it's not as easy to see as behavior modification. And honestly, unlike a child growing who grows steadily over time, our spiritual formation is really more up and down, right? I don't know about you, but in my own life, sometimes I feel like these attitudes of the fruit of the Spirit in my life are are two steps forward, one step back. If you look at the big span of my life, I do think there's a pattern of growth, but every day it feels like I'm gaining a little ground only maybe to lose a little ground the next day. And, And let me give you a little encouragement there, and this is the third thing. It's that though the growth that we see in believers is gonna be gradual, Ultimately, it's inevitable. Why? Because this is the fruit of the Spirit. And that Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit lives in you, the Holy Spirit empowers you, and He will bear His fruit in you. So if you truly know Jesus as Savior, it's going to happen. So if you're not seeing growth in these areas, Honestly, that should be a red flag because that may mean that there's something going on you can't quite put your finger on. So I would encourage you, go talk to somebody about that. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to your location pastor. Um, There's something you need to talk about because maybe they can step back and say, no, man, let me just give you some outside perspective. I see where you've come so far. Or maybe you'll find out you've never truly known and trusted Jesus as your Savior, and that's why there's no fruit. Let's just leave it here for this week. The change that we're talking about of a deeply formed life is not a quick surface level change. It goes way deeper than that. It's got to go deeper than that. We're not formed externally, we're formed internally. And so we have to be careful that we're not taking this fake artificial plastic fruit and tying it on to dead branches in our life so that we can impress others and ultimately fool ourselves. I want to be a church that refuses to settle for behavior modification. That we push deeper into the harder but far more worthwhile spiritual formation that comes about as we know Jesus as our Savior and move him to the center of our hearts and lives. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the challenge and the message today. And God, I pray that you would help me not settle for modifying behaviors in my life that are easy to see, but that you would continually push me to do the necessary but not natural work of spiritual formation in my life. That your spirit living in me and working through me would produce this fruit that's not going to come naturally to me. And God, I pray that that would be true of every man, woman, and student in our church. That we would take our spiritual formation seriously. That we wouldn't turn it into a checklist that's easily done and forgotten. But it would be a lifelong pursuit of moving you to the center of our heart and lives. Specifically in our attitudes. And in the, 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 the center 
uh, of our emotions, the center of our thoughts, that it would not be just something we do, but someone we are becoming. So God, I pray that you would use your word to make us more like Jesus so that we can better impact the lostness of our communities. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.